Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer turned psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. So some of the folks asked me, how did I come to write this book? Well, a little writer's humor here. It was a dark and stormy night. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> actually, it is part of a book series, uh, the uh, Fundamentals of Consulting Psychology book series. And I think it's the sixth or seventh, let's see, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, yeah, maybe the eighth book, and there are more coming. And it was actually uh, Rodney Lohman, who was the editor of the book series. He invited me to submit a proposal, and it actually surprised me. I was like, really? There's a book? He's like, oh, it's really important. The work you do, consulting to technical people, you should share that, you know, because a lot of people need to learn how to do this. And I was like, wow, okay, um, and gave it a lot of thought. It took me a while to actually submit a proposal because I thought, hmm, do I really want to do this? And um, in the end, there's been enormous um, positive response, both from people who are consultants as well as people who are, I don't know, consultants, like not organizational consultants, but people who work with technical people, people in, inside of organizations like human resources, people who are in the legal business outside of, of the technical fields but also from the technical leaders themselves. Now that was a, a surprise for me too, because I felt a little awkward saying, hi, technical people, here's a book on how to work with people like you. And all, but they were like, finally, I mean, we're told so often that we have to learn how to communicate with other people, but why don't they have to learn how to communicate with us? And I was like, well, exactly, that's what this book is about. And so I've actually seen some people be very happy to see a book like this come out. Um, and so uh, I'm really glad to have had that opportunity. One of the other reasons why it's important to write this book is that technical industries are really growing very quickly. And uh, the top industries are technical. I mean, I've got some statistics here. If you want, you know, look at uh, health and technology are the top two industries leading the United States economy. Um, both of them are also the most profitable industries. So they are employing a number of people. Pharmaceutical manufacturing, sales, genetic testing, workplace drug testing, and all of hospitals and medical services combined totaled $24.4 billion in revenues last year. Information tech and services, uh, 17.5 billion. I mean, you can look up and see slightly different numbers in different places, but those are very large numbers is what I'm trying to say. And in addition to the dollar figures here, we've also got just the importance of these industry and the people in them. We've gotten so used to uh, during the pandemic, thanking all of the uh, first responders who've been out there but think about all of the technical people who developed the vaccines, the tests, the masks, Zoom, you know, things that we've been relying on. I, I think of them as heroes too. So thank you. Thank you, technical heroes. Um, even outside of the technical industries themselves, 
most organizations have a technical division or department within it, like IT or healthcare within these departments, right? There's a lot of technical stuff that's going on. And it also influences industries like um, artificial intelligence now is being used all over the place. Um, automation is used in agriculture, shipping industries. They aren't necessarily technical, but boy, they've become so because of that. So there's a lot, I mean, a, a lot of work for consultants. There's a lot of work working with technical people. It's important to understand them. And uh, just so we're all on the same page, right? Another writer's pun intended. What is a technical leader? They are people who generally work in STEM. It's the way I've defined them for the purposes of this book. Science, technology, engineering, and math, which includes some finance, you know, the high level, and um, manufacturing. And so you could probably find a lot of fields that this relates to. All right, so what differentiates technical people from non-technical people? Now we have to have a little caveat here that we're all humans, right? It's not like we have a different species of people that we're all humans, we're more similar than different. So there might be some nuances though, that are product of the, uh, the people who are attracted to and reinforced by the industries, you know, they've grown up and trained in there, the industries themselves, the culture of the organizations and the teamwork, right? So I'll talk about those briefly and these are all covered in the book. All right, so technical leaders. Uh, first of all, technical leaders, and I can attest to this, um, are trained to be experts uh, in a field, not people, right? They're trained to solve problems and create things. You know, how much torque will the wind create on your building that you're designing? Uh, what's the right algorithm to use in your code? You know, those are kind of problems that the technical people are solving, if not even bigger ones, like how, how can you make sure your spaceship doesn't crash uh, when it launches, right? Uh, so those are like big, big technical problems. It's not like uh, in school you're taught, how do you motivate a team of people? I mean, those, those come later, right? So, um, and, and perhaps people think of that as secondary as well. And a lot of uh, technical people are scientists at heart. Uh, I can tell you, I'm a scientist at heart and I love looking at the data and I have a rational explanation. Uh, one of the most common expressions I hear from technical leaders who I'm coaching is the data speaks for itself as a, an influencing strategy. And sometimes it can be um, a, you know, a long conversation to help them see how you know, some people have emotional reactions to data and those can be important too. Um, all right, let's see. Independent thinking is, is another one. People are taught to be independent and especially academics. We see this in the sciences, right? People um, are, are taught to uh, be right and uh, be rewarded for being the smartest person in the room. All right, so if you wanna ask yourself, how can you adjust your communication style to interact with people who, who relate in these ways? You're, you're communicating, you know, maybe not opening with a real touchy-feely, you know, but maybe opening with something about data or um, understanding uh, scientific something about it or the technology to build a relationship with someone? Um, how can you rely on uh, empathy or demonstrate it uh, for others? I mean, for me, I have my engineering background 
And that that's a real good uh, inroad for me to have empathy, but there, you don't have to be a technical person to have empathy for technical people. So thinking about how to, to bring those examples up is, is something that's talked about in the book. All right, moving on to technical industries. A few things, I mean, it's not necessarily unique that we have rapid change in, in, in tech, technical uh, organizations, but the combination here of this constant rapid change, highly complex and specialized organizations and this intense competition for talent, there are implications of that that affect the way uh, decisions are made, the priorities are made and, and how people interact, how they're structured. And it's important to understand that uh, when working with technical people and uh, understanding what motivates them, why their priorities are, are something like that. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, looking at a life sciences company, for example, uh, if a competitor gets an FDA approval before you do, um, all of a sudden, the company, the division can go from everyone working overtime to get this done to not having a job, right? I mean, it, it, huge changes can happen overnight. Uh, technology, similarly, if a new platform uh, takes off, all of a sudden your app can be obsolete or new regulations or laws in healthcare, all sorts of things like this uh, can be rapid um, changing uh, events for, for organizations. And if we look at how complex everything is, we have people working together from all sorts of different teams. We've got experts in chemistry, biology, math, physics. You know, think about uh, giving you the spaceship example. How many different experts do you have to have in a room? That's not a joke. How many experts do you need to design a spaceship, right? I mean, it's like a ton. And, and if you go in and you're not technical, trying to understand what they're talking about can be very complicated. Um, and there's this huge competition for talent. I mean, everyone's facing that right now, but in, in uh, technical organizations, that can create some interesting dynamics. And I'll give you an interesting implication that you might want to consider, uh, something called techno-entitlement, right? People who just think that they're so good because uh, they're so valuable that they don't have to learn some of these people's skills. Hey, I've gotten this far. Hey, they can't fire me because I'm just that good. Uh, not to say that, that everyone feels that way, but I do see it. People who are experts can be highly valuable. Teams. Teams is another thing we talk about uh, in, in the book, or I talk about, I guess you could say. Um, one of the biggest challenges that I run into uh, with technical leaders and teams is the ambiguity of leadership. I'll give you an example. Uh, Agile teams, some of you work with agile teams. How many, how many leaders does it take to run an agile team, right? Another one here, project manager. Uh, they plan and pro, uh, the, uh, lead and organize the project, right? Scrum master, make sure that the team follows the agile process. The product owner, you know, prioritizes the product uh, work and checks against uh, customer specifications. So you might even have an engineering manager on top of that. So when you're a team member, who do you report to? Who do you ask this question to? Who's in charge of this? There's just so much ambiguity. And then the leaders are like, well, I don't know. Am I doing this or that or this other thing? There are just so many people in these teams. And you find in life sciences and, and um, some other areas too, healthcare, 
It's cross-functional teams, dotted line management. It's very ambiguous. And that can be a huge source of tension as well as confusion. And uh, decision-making can be a real challenge. Lots of opportunities for consulting with, with teams in this way, but also understanding what they're dealing with. All right, the last one, big one I want to talk about is the technical culture. How does the culture impact leadership? Well, we have this culture of, of being enforced for being right. Um, sometimes people get defensive, right? Especially we have like a code review. All of a sudden people are critiquing your, your code that you just designed. You know, you want to defend it, not say thank you for the, the feedback, right? Just like editors were, were critiquing my writing. I have to be like, thank you. I'm open to this improvement rather than no, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna keep it the way I did it. So, um, you know, it's a way of uh, uh, people that often come in leadership positions have to really learn to shift onto the feedback taking and, and giving and, and being open to it. Collaboration is another big issue um, that comes up for, for the technical culture. When we have independent people who uh, are perhaps ignoring feelings and just focusing on the task, how do we actually get people to build relationships and interact with people? Um, that, that can be another big issue that comes up in the culture. So uh, working with these folks, with technical people, um, having some empathy for them and understanding how they're being reinforced in this culture and how understanding the various things in this culture can help you interact with them better. And I have, I'll show you about a little bit about the book here, the organization of the book is just uh, talking about this, I've outlined a lot of the problems that come up just to you right now. Uh, and that's pretty much chapter one. It really uh, states the case for what's really going on out there. Chapter two has interviews. All the contributors who are here today, thank you, uh, who helped uh, put this together, give real information and, and language that the people are using actually in the organizations. You can hear from the technical leaders themselves their priorities, their perspectives, so you can understand how to interact with them. Um, and then I have a, a consulting model. It's the general consulting model. We go into work with an organization where you have to um, get into the organization, you know, attract their attention, uh, figure out what the problem is, um, help do an intervention or some kind of work with them, depending on where you're coming from, and then evaluating to see how it went. And we, we talk about this at the, you know, several different levels in organizational psychology. We have individual group and organizational level consulting, um, but people interact um, in all different ways uh, with people at these different levels. And there are case examples uh, that really illustrate uh, some of these challenges and solutions as well. And the literature and, and interviews really back it all up. So it's not just me, it's not my voice, I'm just sort of the conveyor of information here. Um, and lastly, the, the last chapter in the book talks about the future, like how, how are we gonna move forward if, as companies get more technical, as all leaders have to become more technical just to even do their work, you know, um, as all of us have to become more technical um, and, and how we're, um, all contributing to each other's knowledge. I have uh, one final note 
here that I want to tell you about. Well, first of all, if you want to buy the book, there's a discount code available, Flyer25. That's on the American Psychological Association website, not on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon, uh, but this discount code is only available on the American Psychological Association website, and it's good till the end of March. But I want to talk to you for a second about diversity in STEM. And this is a bit of my mission as well in this book. You'll see a, a theme in every uh, of the solutions chapters. It talks about diversity. And I think one of the things that it's really interesting is that a lot of people know that the lack of diversity has been a well-known problem. But what's less well-known is that it hasn't changed much over the past 20 years. Uh, especially for women. Uh, if you look at the statistics over the years, it's, it's surprisingly stagnant. And uh, women in general, specifically, I would say, um, they, uh, they only make up 26% of STEM uh, occupations or jobs. And they're 50%, if not more, of the population and of the workforce, in fact. And to me, that's like a huge gap. And given that women make up half of our population, that's a big, a big challenge, um, something that we need to uh, work on. And so this book, it has a little bit about that. And one of the things that came up in the interviews was that talking to people, especially women leaders saying, how do we bring more women in STEM? You know, a lot of people talk about efforts that they've made to, to, you know, mentor, reach out, attract more women, but because the numbers are so small, it's still a challenge. And so the suggestion was really to start young, to support girls in STEM. And I say girls, meaning younger than high school, even like in elementary school. And so um, part of my mission is uh, to help girls in STEM. And uh, the, I have a um, an in-person book launch for any of you who are in San Diego on the 31st of March and you would like to join, please come. Um, but if you're not going to be here and you're interested at all in supporting girls in STEM, you can go to the Eventbrite link. It's, it's a little clumsy uh, in terms of donating, but you go to the Eventbrite link and you click on tickets. Hold on, let's see. Um, click on tickets. And you will find uh, lots of different tickets available. One of them is just donation. And you can just hit as much or as little as you want to donate to uh, All Girls STEM Society. If you would like to do that, please feel free to do it there. All right. So that is the end of my prepared speech. And I would love to have questions and discussion with others. Joni, um, how can we influence culture so that STEM is something respected and understood and not sort of portrayed as either the evil scientists or the uh, the atypical characters that we see on TV and media? Is there anything we can do as practitioners to counter that stereotype? That is a great question. So, I mean, talking about people who are uh, not in STEM as well as people who are in STEM, perhaps slightly different ways to do that themselves. But first of all, um, doing the right thing, 
you know, uh, being good people in general um, and, uh, um, you know, being visible as you do it is certainly something to help, right? I mean, when, when we see technical people, people in STEM, evil scientists going out and doing bad things, those be, are the ones that make the news, right? And just like in any field, right? It's not just the scientists, but um, so having some visibility about uh, people doing good things for, for science and technology, but also um, as non-technical people, I would say advocating. And, and one of the things actually in the book that I didn't talk about today was um, there is a little bit of an ethical piece at the beginning and in the future as well, about some of the reasons to get involved in working with people in STEM. Look at some of the things that have gone on. Look at the effect of social media on young people, especially we're talking about young girls. They're affected the most, right? Um, and how it's creating all sorts of psychological problems and you know suicide rates going up, et cetera, et cetera. So there are ways that we can get in and, and help some of the people who are designing these technologies to understand the potential implications of what they're designing. I think sometimes people don't always have that big picture. They're, they're designing, they're solving a problem, they're very excited about it, but then seeing like, well, wait a minute, what else could, could go wrong? I mean, we've got genetics going on, I mean, huge. So inserting ourselves into some of these design teams or as technical people, inviting other people into these, these design teams to create, uh, and be mindful of things that are being created, I think is another way. And that is brought up in the book a little bit. Cynthia. Hi, Joni. Uh, congratulations again on the book. I, great presentation. As somebody who hasn't been in corporate America for a long time, but I can so relate because when I was an operations person on a corporate staff for AT&T back in the 80s and 90s, I accidentally fell into um, having to communicate with the programmers who called us the users. And I would journey down like two hours and, and I would, uh, the only way I learned I could talk to the programmers was to, um, go to their desk with a pizza right before lunchtime <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, ask my list. I could only ask maybe three or four questions, but um, could, uh, so it, it sounds very quaint right now, but that's really the way things were in a, a company, uh, uh, you know, as big as at the time, AT&T was probably still fortune 500 or maybe even fortune 100. At any rate, um, I, one of the comments you made was, how to get people to form relationships. And that's the, pardon me, seems fascinating to me because with remote work and relationships are gonna be, it, it seems to me uh, even more important. Were there any, um, in your interviews, in your research, did you uh, come across any uh, unusual or um, you know, really good strategies that could help folks who are technical and who are non-technical. Yeah, sure. So I think one quote that stood out to me a lot was, I mean, this is not necessarily uh, brains or science, but it's like figuring out what people's needs are or what's important to them and, and doing that in an individualized way uh, for, for technical people. Um, Salespeople often go in, for example, and try to start with building a, a social relationship with somebody, you know, and, and doing that. And 
realizing that that's not necessarily what people are looking for um, and finding out what they need that, that you could help them get. And actually, I think Dan has a great way of doing this too. He has another quote in the book too, Dan Hammond, who's on this call, yay, um, about offering help, you know, uh, finding ways to offer help to people. This is another way. So there were some interesting ways. Dan, do you want to say a word to, to that? Um, yeah, I think it's the idea of, um, I mean, technical people respect uh, when you put an effort into something, right? They, they respect uh, you trying, at least. They don't expect you to know the answer. They don't expect you to find all the solutions. But if you made, if you made an, an effort, if you like did, did a little bit of work, they, 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 they appreciate that. And in my, I'm, I'm, technical by training but i was dealing with like super technical people like i mean caltech phds and i would just like volunteer to do something hey you know you know you're trying to test your spy simulator and uh uh you know what i just looked at this book and put some test cases together and run them and this is what i found what do you think right and it's just like immediately i had a friend <laughs> for <laughs> life right because it's like wow you, you didn't think this was strange and you took and made an effort and then you just like did it it's like uh and that worked right so that's some of the stuff that i've done thank you yeah Thanks, those are baby. a couple you'll see some of those in the book too yeah um all right amy hi joni it's great to see you and uh big congratulations on the book this is yes. exciting so um so I guess I'm wondering what as you reflected on what you know about doing this work I guess I'm wondering what surprised you or what did you learn that you didn't know that you knew Oh yeah that's a great one I I, I think one of the surprises I mentioned was how happy technical people were to see this book come out um because um, and realizing the whole empathy piece goes both ways. And they're often told they are the ones who have to change. And I keep telling others, no, not necessarily. You need to understand, you know, like we talk about details. Technical people tend to be so detail oriented and they're not seeing the big picture. And you're like, well, I don't know if you miss some of these details, um, somebody might die, you know, <laughs> as a result of, you know, not paying attention to uh, how you're testing this, this uh, molecule or uh, that a hacker might get through and take down your entire system uh, and you'll be out for a month, you know? So, so some of those things uh, that they really appreciated. But um, I, and another surprise was, um, I guess, I don't know, for me in terms of uh, what came up for, for people when I interviewed them, you know, I think that uh, um, some of the challenges around diversity or something that was kind of interesting that so many people I talked to actually, you know, a lot of the technical people um, were interested in solving that problem, but didn't know how and um, felt like efforts they had made weren't effective and um, also just didn't have time. They're like, I'm, here's my list. You know, my list is like like this, really, of, of things that I have to do. And that's, I mean, I don't know if that, you know, where that fits on the list to, you know, solve this problem for this organization. Um, and yeah, if I can have something that I can implement quickly, you know, and get involved, you know, so prioritizing for them, certainly. Companies who have prioritized have certainly found ways. I actually was talking to somebody about it this week who, um, who found a way to get funding based on the fact that they are uh, hiring enormous number of women leaders. 
in tech. But um, the openness and interest, uh, but just they're, they're hungry for methods. So that was something I thought that was actually very a very positive surprise. All right, let me go to Dean. Thanks, Joni. Uh, and thanks for writing the book. I'm excited to, to open it up and, and see what's in there. I was going to ask Amy's question, so we got that out of the way, but I have another one. Okay. Um, technical firms have a, a tendency to take their best engineers and promote them into management. Um, do you explore that, that transition at all, that shift in mindset um, of, of how to do that well? Or, or have you seen anything that says that, that there's a better way to do it than the typical leadership development? If you're developing technical people into managers, there's a different approach you, you might want to try. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's like the crux of a lot of the work that I do, in fact. And I explore that in the book. And um, you'll hear from the technical leaders how they tend to uh, identify and promote um, technical people in the manner you just stated, Dean. So understanding that, that they could use uh, some different methods in there too. There's a lot of uh, opportunity for consulting. Um, but you know what's kind of interesting is that I actually hear a lot of frustrations from, from technical leaders too that HR doesn't get it in um, working with promoting technical people or hiring them. They just don't get it. They, uh, it's, you know, I talk about the complexity. It's just so complex. And how, you know, they get somebody, they get a job description, they, they try to, you know, increase equity and pay and it's completely, you know, this is not working for them. So uh, working together is something that's definitely, I've talked about in the book, like collaborating on this, like from both sides, like bringing more people in to help work together to solve this. Um, and also uh, there are some suggestions on um, how to attract the attention of the technical leaders um, to help them see that uh, doing a different method of uh, promoting people is actually in their interest to, you know, it might take a little bit of investment on the front end, but it'll save them time in the back end. And those are some of the kind of uh, conversations that are in that. And I think that would be in the hiring piece, I think is in chapter four, you know, and promoting on the individual level. Um, and there's some organization wide things too. So it's definitely addressed. I'm not going to like go through all of it today, but yeah. Very important. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Will. Hey, Joni. Congratulations. <clears throat> um, I had a couple questions. One is in your research on this, have you seen any indication that the attributes you see in technical people have origins in kind of nature versus nurture? Is there any sort of evidence about that? I know it's a tough question. And and if so, to the extent there is, does it inform how you approach the situation? Uh, and then the other question is, you cited the, the lack of progress in diversity in STEM. Do you have a theories on why why it's been stagnant and why okay. has it? Okay, wow. Okay, I'll try to be brief on this because man, psychology, I love it. Uh, nature, nurture, um, the rule of thumb in the psychological research uh, results are that it's about 50-50 in general, in terms of personality. And um, so we do have some uh, traits that we're born with, but they can be shaped by our environment as well. 
And so when I, I do talk about this in the book a little bit. Um, and so we probably have some people who are just naturally good at things, good at solving problems, good at math, good at, you know, we always look to what are you good at, to what careers should you choose? Um, also, I've heard people talk about what they're bad at and why they don't choose other careers. Like, you know, I was bad at this, so I escaped in programming. It was just such a rewarding experience for me, and I was really good at it. I wasn't so good at, you know, I don't know, the whole social scene or something like that. Um, but uh, when you have a culture that is really focused on the science and the problem solving and all that, it definitely encourages people to focus, stay focused on that and not as much on these other things. And so uh, it's definitely uh, a part of that. And, and as I was mentioning to the, the cultures of the organizations, uh, reinforce it. And if we want to change that, uh, or if, if the people want to change it who are working there or running these organizations, they need to work from within the organizations to change the culture of the way people interact, um, to not just focus on the problems, but also on the people. So that, that's a bigger, a bigger thing. Um, all right, you also asked about why diversity has stayed so stagnant in STEM. Yeah, well, there are a lot of different answers to that. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly why it really is. And I think part of the, the reason why I want to draw everyone's attention to girls in STEM, I mean, it's not just girls, it's also uh, people of all different uh, backgrounds to increase diversity there. But getting younger, uh, we find that a lot of these choices that people make happen before they get into the workplace, right? Um, there's definitely workplace culture that affects why people don't feel comfortable. And you've seen a lot in the news about how women are treated in, in tech, uh, you know, especially when there's techno entitlement going on, women tend to bear the brunt of that. Um, but um, younger kids, uh, when they get to adolescence, there's a big shift in the way girls and boys and people in between, you know, are, are treated or reinforced. And then they get up to college and and where do they feel comfortable? And in the book, I actually talk about a little bit about my own experience and my daughter's experience and the difference there. Um, as a woman in STEM, you know, I was, I was very alone and isolated. Uh, and, you know, part of that's my choice that I didn't hang out with all of the guys who were um, in engineering when it was a very small department when I was in college. Um, and, you know, not fitting in necessarily or, uh, feeling supported and put into groups to have mentoring situations in the workplace. But my daughter is a college student now, and uh, she joined, she's in STEM, she's in math, and uh, she called me up one day and said, hi, I'm joining a sorority. And I'm like, a sorority? I mean, <laughs> I'm a nerd, right? I'm like, a sorority? <laughs> she's like, yeah, it's a women in STEM sorority. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know that existed. And I was like, that's really, really, I mean, that sounds fantastic. And they're actually, she's not on this call today because they're driving to a retreat right now as we're on this call for these women in STEM and college students. And she's bonding with other women and building her support network. And I thought, well, wow, that's, that's fantastic. And there's a change already going on. All right, I, I wanna make sure to get to, to Greg. You've been so patient. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, before I offer my observation and question, mm -hmm. I wanted to say that I'm looking forward to getting your book and thank you for this session. Uh, 
my, my observation really goes to STEM and the example you just used uh, of your daughter sort of speaks to that. But, uh, you know, it sounds like your approach in this book and your approach in your work is sort of marrying up the technical with the soft skills and sort of putting them together, which leads me to the question about, you know, the notion some curricula are going towards STEAM, mm-hmm. arts to, for the soft skills. What's you, what, if any, do you have a reaction to that with respect to your book? Okay. Um, well, I, I love it. I love it. And I think another thing that's starting to happen is we're seeing some communication uh, skills, communication courses for people in STEM, um, either writing or, or just a combination of different kinds of communication skills. And um, I'm definitely an advocate for that. And I think that's one of the things that I outline in the book. Um, and you'll see in chapter two in interviewing the technical people that, you know, they just didn't have a lot of training in these kinds of things and really wanted more. And some uh, uh, some po- people are doing this as, as adults, you know, and I think a lot of technical people are avid readers, especially of nonfiction, right? So they're finding ways to, to gain some of these skills, um, but practicing them and and there's a bit, a bit of a catch-up there um, if you didn't get it earlier on. I know I found it myself. I always feel like when I'm among writers, I'm like, oh, I had an engineering background. I don't know if, if my writing you know, meets other people's writing abilities. Um, so others might feel that too. But um, I'm trying to think if in the book has any specifics to education. It just basically is a call to action. Yeah, in the book. And thank you. And and one last request. Sure. Is it possible for someone to put the link for that donation for Girls for STEM in the chat? Yes, I meant to do that. Um, maybe I can get Robin to do that. Okay. Yeah. And so, again, uh, I can also just put it back up on the... Um, uh, I don't even know if I'm, why I'm sharing still, but I can do it. Um, it's back up on the share screen here. So there's, I've created a bit.ly of a short uh, link there, Canel book, and you can get to the in-person launch party. You don't have to come to the party again. Uh, if you want to donate, you just click on tickets and there is uh, a donation option among the tickets and all of the funds, except for a, a tiny uh, Eventbrite fee you know, um, all of the money goes, it's a pass through from me to, to the organization. If you want to come to the party, there will be some of the, the girls from the, the society they're speaking to. So hopefully it'll be fun. Thank you for asking for that again. Hi, Jenny. I just, yeah. I just added that link to the, the chat. Oh, great. Thank you, Walt. Okay. I've got to run. Sorry. I didn't want to just rush out. I've got to, Gotta go, kids are yeah. So thank you very much. That was amazing. Congratulations again. Thank you, Walt. Bye, Emma. See, there's a, there's an example of a tech person solving a tech problem right away on a human interaction. Yes, excellent. Um, other questions, discussion. Anybody else want to contribute to the discussion? Well, you are. Oh, oh, yes, Neil. Neil. I just wanted to say hello. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Very late. But like, uh, yeah, congratulations on the book. Thank you. I am so pleased to see you here. I really appreciate your support. 
no problem. Yeah, this has been a, a fun process. I actually did a talk not too long ago on what it's like to publish a book, and I compare and contrast my two experiences of writing uh, my book, Flying Without a Helicopter, and then writing this, uh, consulting the technical leaders, teams, and organizations. Yeah, I have my own copy here, already flagged. Um, and, uh, you know, the academic book versus, you know, non-academic and, uh, you know, all this stuff. It's been very interesting. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's been challenging, too, with, you know, having to put so many resources together and um, have some peer review. Oh, my goodness. That's a whole another, another issue of uh, being an editor or having an editor and, and peers in addition to editors giving you feedback and suggestions. But um, I am grateful to all of the suggestions that were made because, I mean, this book is way better than when I started <laughs> when I just wrote it. So, yeah, I think that's good lesson for, for technical people too, just to remember, you know, the teamwork is so important, right? It's a better product when it's um, a group. How did you find writing the, because your first book, was that pre-COVID or was it, say, has, how different has that been? Kind of like trying to do it, mm. maybe not always so much in person and... Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, actually, um, writing a book during the COVID pandemic has been pros and cons. First of all, um, it just coincidentally was I had uh, just gotten the proposal approved right when COVID essentially started. So a lot of work went away at the very beginning <laughs> before people realized they're how they're going to handle it. So I had all this time to write, which is really hard. It's hard to write and work at the same time. So having some of that downtime to be able to focus on the writing was enormously helpful. Publishing has been such a downer, though. I mean, here we are in a webinar, you know, like talking about the book instead of in person, you know, and I did I have this in person party set up um, for uh, a month from now, but the book actually was supposed to come out January 25th. And it was like, usually you have this big release celebration and, you know, Amazon literally just got the book in a couple of days ago, right? I mean, everything's just muted. It takes so long for everything to happen and supply chain and people leaving organizations and dealing with turnover and not enough staff. It's been, it's been frustrating. Um, but I think part of what you were asking about, Neil, was just the remote um, aspect of mm. work. I think it's easier to it's easy to write remotely um, and and interact with editors remotely. I've been doing that most of my professional career. I mean, I did remote work before it was even really much of a thing, um, and collaborations when I was back in grad school remotely with people. Um, so so that is uh, has not been as much of a challenge, but it is a lot more fun to sort of meet people face to face. I think the coffee and sharing ideas is a, a part of writing, which I've missed. Anything else, life, universe, or anything? <laughs> Joni, I missed most of everything, but I just wanted to say, first of all, congratulations. And second of all, I just wanted to ask, you know, 
what what is next for this project what what's going to happen now with this book well thank you franklin um well i'm getting the book out there i love readers people who want to to buy the book it's it's not that uh it's um well, they, there are lots of writer's jokes on how much money people make off books, which is basically not much. The, the real uh, financial rewards come from the work, like the speaking opportunities, the workshops, the coaching and consulting engagements that come out of that. So obviously, I'm definitely interested if anyone has any uh, that they would like to uh, send my way. I would definitely appreciate it. But um it's also a, a bit of a mission to help people communicate with each other and helping uh, young girls and, and other, you know, diversity uh, movements to um, increase uh, the diversity in, in STEM. So I do a little bit of both. Um, and I don't know if there's a book part two. I, I doubt it. I think in this, this book, the only other book in this line would be actually speaking to the technical people. So the reverse, you know, the inverse of this. But um, uh, the next book after this might be something totally different. And um, right now it's just the consulting. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to say thank you all for being here and for supporting this, this book, for supporting me, for the celebration and the questions and helping me think, uh, you know, just more about this topic and what to do with it. And um yeah, and how to support technical leaders and people who want to work with them. So I am available. You all know how to reach me. Um, I would love to continue the conversation later if you like. I'm, I love to talk in addition to write. So anytime, reach out. And uh, thanks again for being here. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.